Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The right for Native Americans to vote is protected by the U.S. Constitution, but that has only been legally established in all states within the last 60 to 70 years, well after constitutional amendments to extend voting rights to other populations. Today we'll hear about the efforts to lift the ban on Native American voting in New Mexico just after World War II. What do you know about the history of Native American voting in your state? We'll hear more right after the news. National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Midway through his six-day visit to Canada, Pope Francis traveled from Edmonton to Quebec City and issued another apology for the abuses committed at residential schools. Dan Karpinchuk reports. Before making his address at Quebec City's historic citadel, the Pope met privately with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and with Mary Simon, who is Canada's first Indigenous Governor-General. In his speech, Francis said different local Catholic institutions had a part in the deplorable residential school system, which separated many children from their families. And he again asked for forgiveness for the wrongs done by so many Christians to Indigenous peoples. Before he spoke, Mary Simon called his visit an important step. It is Indigenous peoples who worked, waited, and prayed for an apology on indigenous lands in Canada. They never gave up. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also described the visit as important, but suggested it was only the beginning. As Your Holiness has said, begging pardon is not the end of the matter. It is a starting point. Some indigenous leaders have said the Pope's apologies have fallen short, and earlier... Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller said there were gaps in the apology that could not be ignored, such as the omission of sexual abuses against Indigenous children at the schools, and that the Pope had referred earlier this week to the evil committed by individual Christians, but not the Catholic Church as an institution. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. Kansas will be the first state to vote on abortion since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Next week, voters will decide if the state's constitution should continue to protect abortion. Ahead of the election, members of the Native community are holding registration drives. And as Rhonda Lovaldo reports, some Native women say they're concerned about an abortion ban and access to birth control. The Kansas City Indian Center, KCIC, in Kansas City, Missouri, is part of the Native Vote Movement, not only registering voters in Missouri, but also in Kansas as they straddle the state line. They want to get younger voters engaged in the process by doing registration drives anywhere they can. Executive Director Gaylene Krauser, Standing Rock, Lakota, explains why. Really, a ton of election laws that aren't maybe common knowledge, especially to to people that haven't voted before. And as Kansas will be the first state to vote on an abortion amendment to their constitution, Carol Cadu Blackwood, Kickapoo citizen and Lawrence, Kansas school board member, says this vote is about treaty erosion. We were forcibly removed. We were disposed of our land, placed in Kansas, and yet again we're going to have more laws placed on us and laws regulating our bodies. The value them both amendment vote on August 2nd will either uphold Kansans' rights to a abortion or potentially end them. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. 
Drug overdose deaths during the early days of the pandemic spiked significantly among indigenous populations. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Aaron Bolton reports. According to the recently published CDC study, drug overdose deaths nationwide increased 30 percent from 2019 to 2020. The rate increased by 39 percent among Alaska Native and American Indian populations, nearly double the increase for whites during that same period. The study found that health and economic disparities likely contributed to the spike in overdose deaths among indigenous populations. The study says overdose prevention efforts need to incorporate culturally responsive interventions and address polysubstance use in order to reduce drug overdose death disparities. I'm Aaron Bolton. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Colorado Plateau Foundation, supporting Native-led initiatives protecting lands, waters, and cultures by building networks, community, and organizational capacity. Proposals accepted through September 1st at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. With so many organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information. So AARP brings together no-charge employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, discounts, and more at aarp.org slash veterans who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Native Americans officially won citizenship in 1924, but voting remained a right that Native Americans had to fight for on a state-by-state basis for decades to come. In New Mexico, that fight was championed by Miguel Trujillo, an Isleta Pueblo World War II veteran. He was among many tribal citizens who returned from fighting for their country and questioned why they, as citizens and war veterans, continued to be barred from voting. In 1948, he sued the county registrar who prohibited him from voting, registering to vote, and won. Trujillo's actions opened the door for all tribal citizens in New Mexico to go to the polls from then on. Esleta Puebla was honoring Miguel Trujillo on August 8th. Today, we'll hear about this historical person and his achievements from a family member and others. We'd also like to hear from you. Are you familiar with Miguel Trujillo? What pivotal actions cleared voting rights for Native people in your state? Join our discussion at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE to share your thoughts. Let's learn more about Miguel Trujillo from a couple of Isleta Pueblo tribal citizens. In our studio in Albuquerque, New Mexico is Pat Abeta. She is Miguel Trujillo's granddaughter. Pat, thanks for making the trip up to Albuquerque today. It's a privilege to have you on the show to share your grandfather's legacy. Thank you so much. Also in our studio is Janice Lucero. She is a voting rights advocate and a community organizer and a founding member of the Isleta Pueblo Voters Alliance. Janice, great to have you on the show as well. Good morning, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm just so excited to talk with you both today. And again, appreciate you in the studio. 
Pat, let's start with you. When did you first become aware of your grandfather's contribution to voting rights in New Mexico? I believe it was when I became eligible to vote. Um, he was very excited the day that I was going to go down and vote for the first time. And he lived in Albuquerque. I spent the night with them that night, and we walked to the poll that morning. And he was as lively and talkative as you know he's ever. He always was. I'm very proud to um, tell me how I should practice my right to vote. That it didn't come easy. And um, in the end, he did tell me what he did to make this right possible. And so when we walked into the polling site, he proudly introduced me as his granddaughter and why I was here, my first time voting. And from then on, I learned and uh, more about his fight to get our right to vote. Okay, Pat. So let me get this straight. You are what you're a first time voter. You just got <laughs> registered. I think you're maybe 18, 19 years old. You're walking with your grandfather to the polling station and he just drops this on you like, hey, the reason you and other native people are able to vote is because of the, some of the work and effort that I put into that back in 1948. Is that kind of how it worked out? Yes, he was. He wasn't a boastful man. You know, he was a quiet spoken man. And so I, I really did not hear about this and, uh, until then. That's just amazing. What else do you remember about your grandfather? Memories of my grandfather. Um, he was a very quiet, private man. He was um, very well respected. From him we learn the values of respect, of hard work, of getting an education, the importance of getting an education. Um, I, I learned throughout his life the many sacrifices that he made, not only for his family, but for the community and, and for those people that he came in contact with in going through his job history, his um, service history, um, he was a man that made many sacrifices and didn't brag about him. He was very, he was, he kept to himself, but we definitely learned strong value, family values and ethics from him. Miguel Trujillo, quiet, humble, proud. Pat, when did his name begin to become more widely known as an important figure in civil rights? I believe when. Oh, my when my when my mother was first approached when there was various uh, professors and lawyers that wanted to bring this to the forefront wanted to make it known it was be, it was then at that time when we began to really learn about what took place you know the process and and so forth so it's been maybe about 20 years now that we we first uh, became real acquainted with with what my grandfather did. One of the things I find most remarkable about your grandfather is that Native people from his generation weren't generally taught to have a heightened political conscience. Where do you think he got that from? I believe he got that through his education. 
he um, attended Albuquerque um, Indian School, and he talked about the many times he ran away from home. Um, and I can only imagine how difficult it was for him as a child to be taken and, and, and you know, taken to school and into an unfamiliar environment, not speaking the English language. Um, and then also having to remember to that he was the oldest child in his family and needing to be able to support his his family. Um, his father died when he was a, at my grandfather when he was very young, and so and then he went on to school to um, Kansas to Car- to um, Carlisle. So I believe that through education and the and the many influences that he had from professors. And so forth, I believe that's what made an impact on him. So he went to uh, Haskell, was it, in Kansas? Okay, Haskell. And then he also went to the University of New Mexico, didn't he? Yes, he did. He um, earned a master's in education. Master's in education, well. And was he involved in other causes beyond uh, voting rights in New Mexico? Um, Yes, he was involved in... um, the Laguna Pueblo uh, Tribal Council. He was involved in, um, he's a proud member of the American Legion. I remember going to many of those events with him. Um, he participated when he could. I think what what strikes me is that in his early career, he was also a public servant for the state of New Mexico. Um, it was then called the Department of Public Health. And that was, um, he was a caseworker. And so he he went into the homes in Bernalillo and Valencia County and did pretty much what I do today, social work. And so I believe that um, that was part of his service. That was the beginning of his service to the community. Now, the connection to Laguna Pueblo, was, was his wife Laguna? Yes, my grandmother, Ruchanda Pisano, was an enrolled member of the Pueblo of Laguna from the village of Casablanca. Mm, small world in the, in the Pueblo community, huh? Yes. <laughs> well, Pat, I, I want to ask you because, you know, we live in a time now of increasing political frustration. There's disillusionment. What can Native people today who are questioning the political process, what can they learn from your grandfather? I think many of the struggles that we see today are struggles that our people experienced and and continue to experience. And um, it's so important to to vote. And many people say, well, it's just one vote, but those votes add up, you know, and it affects everything from from the ground up, from our tribal, tribal communities, statewide, nationwide, and national elections, our voice counts. And we need to, I think word needs to get out as to how one vote and those votes that add up can contribute to good decisions, hopefully policy, that that makes changes for our communities and for our tribes, for our people. It, It increases funding. You know, we have a voice. We have a voice, and we need to make it count. 
Pat, th- thank you for, for setting the tone here for our conversation today and sharing all that wonderful family history, your grandfather, Miguel Trujillo. I want to ask Janice now, Janice, how well known is Miguel Trujillo in Pueblo country and his efforts in 1948 to gain the right to vote? You know, it's not a, he's not as popular. I, I can honestly say I didn't learn about Miguel Trujillo until uh, 2020 when IPVA, the Isleto Pueblo Voters Alliance, was uh, being founded and established when we started to do our research. So is it safe to say that Pueblo students growing up, uh, they don't learn about Miguel Trujillo in classrooms? That's correct. They don't. This information in history is not part of their curriculum, which I believe, you know, this is New Mexico history. This should be taught. Uh, Again, it also introduces um, just what Pat was talking about, Um, you know, our rights, our, our, we have dual citizenship right now, you know, because of the door that opened for us to have the U.S., Um, constitutional rights and also to vote in that system, but also um, to vote here in our own uh, tribal community within our own tribal elections. We're speaking with two tribal citizens from Misleta Pueblo today, Pat Abeda and Janice Lucero, and they're telling us about the legacy and the life of Miguel Trujillo, who worked very diligently in 1948 to ensure Native people the right to vote. And we're going to talk with more with them after the break. We're going to learn more about Miguel Trujillo and an upcoming event to celebrate his legacy. That's all coming up right after this short break, but we really want to hear from our callers, from our listeners, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. The Yurok Tribe is taking business to the next level by expanding their craft beer production and distribution. And an Anishinaabe artist creates a wool blanket honoring traditional foods of the Great Lakes. All that and more on the next installment of The Menu on Native America Calling. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Nearly every state has a story to tell about extending the right to vote to Native Americans. We're hearing about one today, remembering Miguel Trujillo, whose lawsuit exposed the state of New Mexico's unconstitutional efforts to keep Native Americans from voting. Please join our conversation. Are you grateful for the efforts of Miguel Trujillo and others who fought for your right to vote? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. We're waiting for your call. 1-800-996-2848. With that said, we have a caller on the line right now, Karen Wakondo, listening in Hickoria Apache, also a relation to Miguel Trujillo. Karen, thanks for calling in today. Thank you. I'm at a gas station, so I may have to leave shortly. 
No problem, Karen. Glad you took the time to, to step away from the pump and give us a call. What's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to say my grandpa and I think Pat, my sister, explained him very well and and how he was and then, uh, you know, just a very humble um, and didn't boast a very uh, gentle man. And I think that what I really got from my grandpa was that um, he thought he had deeper insights. He didn't act on first surface action. He went deeper and thought and saw the consequences. And um, we don't see that very much anymore. A lot of times people work on their emotional state or their, you know, just and act on that. But he wanted to, he saw deeper things to where it would affect not himself, but how it affect others. And um, the home and the land and everything else. And so I really appreciate my grandpa's teachings. Karen, when did you first find out about your grandfather's accomplishments? Um, I went an exchange student. I've heard about it before high school, but not so in-depth. I was an exchange student, and one of the students that I exchanged with came from San Francisco, actually Los Altos Hills, Karen Hinkleman. And um, she came back with me and interviewed my grandpa. And that is the interview that we use a lot in the presentations and, and articles that were given. And I thought, oh, wow, I didn't realize he did to the extent of that. And um, I read the paper and more in depth that has been used and was really amazed of you know from all the detail and since then my grandma and grandpa they went through the news clippings with me and uh, we had to archive them and put dates and we got scrapbooks and things like that and I was reading the articles I said wow you did this or you did that and you know the steps to how they voted to get the initiative going who um, the lawyer attorney Garley was from Washington DC um, and uh, Cohen and, and all the, ind the individual people that really mm -hmm. supported him in making the voice greater. Karen, thanks for calling in. It's Karen Wakanda on the line. She's up in Hickory, also a granddaughter of Miguel Trujillo. And Karen, please drive safely there, uh, up there in Dulce. Take care of yourself. Um, let's go back to Janice now. Janice, I, we've got a lot of people that are calling in, other relatives as well of um, Miguel Trujillo. And I, I want to give you a chance, though, to, to tell us about this day, this uh, celebration coming up next week to honor Miguel Trujillo. What is the event and, and what's the motivation? Definitely. Thank you so much. Uh, we are so excited. IPVA, the Isleta Pueblo Voters Alliance, uh, is excited to have collaborated as community partners to the Pueblo of Isleta Cultural and Historic Preservation Department. Also, the Pueblo uh, of Isleta Veterans Association, Isleta Casino um, and Resort, and of course, the Pueblo of Isleta for this really exciting um, project that we received um, that the Cultural Historic Preservation Department received grant funds from, um, which was the New Mexico Humanities Council grant program. And so with that, we uh, all got to plan together as a community and just, you know, really wanted to honor and celebrate Miguel Trujillo. So it's been a really great couple of weeks. We're excited. Please come out August 3rd. 
um, is the day that we are celebrating next Wednesday, 3 to 7 p.m. at the Isleta Casino and Resort, Ballroom C. I'm excited for you all to be there. Uh, we will be having a uh, interview booth. So if you have any just comments or anything to add to to this day, we would just love to hear to hear your voice. Let's uh, uplift this day, this special day. Um, we're excited to share a little bit of the agenda. We have the Pueblo Vasleta Veterans Association, the Color Guard, Kyle Lujan, who is going to do the Pledge of Allegiance in Tiwa. Again, Pat Abeda, very excited to have her there. Um, also, Alec Bright, a few of our tribal leaders. So please make it out. We would love to see you. Janice, it's wonderful to hear about so many partnering organizations that are are going to make this day a reality next week. And Alec Bright, you mentioned, is, is going to be speaking with us here a little later on the show. And Miguel Trujillo Day, is this something that will continue into the future? Definitely. We would love this to be this day, you know, uh, moving forward. August 3rd should be his day for sure. Okay. Well, we have another Miguel Trujillo relative on the line. John Wakanda is listening online in Black Hills, South Dakota. John, you're on the air. Hello, Michael. Um, I just wanted to also highlight um, my grandfather's inspiration and his dedication as an educator that has influenced so many lives, including myself, to pursue, as my sister said, uh, an education that was his, that was his, um, his belief was that an education cannot be taken away from anybody, uh, just like the right to vote, and um, has inspired many tribal leaders um, and many, many examples of his influence on people's lives uh, as a teacher you know this gained the right to vote with just one small um challenge that he uh encountered and overcame and endured and championed but there are many other things in his life um that that changed uh people changed um tribal governments and um just basically um inspired and and offered um, advice and inspiration um, as a role model. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Absolutely. John, thanks for calling in and sharing your memories of your grandfather. Janice, I, I want to talk a, a little bit about the present day and, and Miguel Trujillo's influence. And, you know, over the last couple of generations, Native Americans have become an increasingly powerful voting block in New Mexico. And uh, do you see that trend continuing? I do. I see us actually stepping up. This is our time. This is our time to exercise who we are. We've always had a voice. And this is just a great time now to unite as indigenous folks, indigenous communities, like Pat said, to vote for the right representation, to vote for the right leaders, uh, it's important that they really know what's going on in our communities, that they really can relate to the people, um, and that they can actually understand the issues that are going on in these communities. We need those kind of people in office to really advocate for us because there's a lot of trauma that has gone on in, in our communities. And so I would love to 
just empower everybody this, you know, this year, <laughs> years to come. Please get out there, get to the polls, do your research, do your research with the candidates that are coming up. Uh, this was a huge movement for us, for IPVA in 2020. We were hit with COVID, as you know, and as IPVA just establishing, we were like, how are we going to, how are we going to reach our community? What what tools are we going to use? And thankfully, we have Zoom. <laughs> we have <laughs> these platforms that allow us to engage with each other. And this was the movement that really helped us reach our own community to get them involved, to show them what's going on, these issues, um, to also just show them and highlight the candidates that we're currently running and, you know, what 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 can we do together? We, we, we see a lot of times the issues here are, they're not really, they're not really addressing the issues. It's very like, I heard sur subsurface, <laughs> the word, and it is. These issues regarding our land, our water, our rights to vote, our bodies, this all plays into place to have the right people to advocate for us. This is what our freedom, this is what it means to have freedom of speech. This is what it means to have the freedoms that we have as Native folks, not only in our communities, but within the uh, the national system as well. Mm -hmm. Well, Pat, I want to ask you, because the for, before the show, we were talking a little bit about folks from, from your grandfather's generation and, and how sadly some of their legacies are, are being lost to history and it's so important to to foster their memories and that younger people younger native people younger pueblo people learn about these influential figures in our past and what do you think we can do as native people to to make sure that legacies such as your grandfather's and others that those legacies remain intact oh you hit you hit a spot that's very dear to my heart and what we have um what we are in the process of, of implementing down in Isleta. Um, I work for Isleta Social Services. I've been a social worker now for over 30 years. And one of the, um, our plan right now, one of the things that we're working on is to reach out to the elders, reach out, out to traditional leaders and hold forums, hold meetings, hold sessions so that we can bring them bring them together with the younger generation and have them tell stories, have them tell us what their childhood was like and bring back some of those traditions so that they are not lost. Not only will we learn about people like my grandfather, but we'll, we'll learn about roles, traditional roles, you know, and the the importance of Every member in the community, we all have a, we all play an important role in 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 making sure our community is healthy and it functions and 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 we continue to thrive. We can't do that by ourselves, and so that's one of our goals in in with the program that I work with is to bring the community back together by in, by including the elders, especially, and bringing back those cultures and traditions. 
Let's learn more about Miguel Trujillo's historic right to vote lawsuit. We've got a third guest, and if anybody wants to call in again, our number 1-800-996-2848. We really want to hear from more listeners today. Uh, Joining us in Norfolk, Virginia is Alec Bright. He's a museum professional and a Miguel Trujillo researcher. Alec, welcome to the show. Howdy, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Alec, you wrote your master's thesis on Miguel Trujillo. What inspired that research? Yeah, um, I sort of, and a lot of the things that have been touched on here with the forgotten legacy of Miguel Trujillo is really what pulled me into it. Um, I, I sort of first approached this from um, sort of an African-American civil rights angle, looking at how Miguel Trujillo as a veteran was pushing to, to have this, uh, to have voting rights um, be brought to the Pueblo communities. But as I was doing my research and finding more, I was uncovering a much longer history of uh, a struggle for sovereignty. So um, sort of rather than a longer struggle for uh, voting rights like we see in the African-American community, I was looking at the Trujillo situation and, and seeing how it played out in um, the Indian communities and in the Southwest particularly. And what do you know about what drove him to file that initial lawsuit? Well, I think um, Pat hit on it a lot. It, it, it was his education, sort of. He he had a formative education. Um, he started um, in Albuquerque, and then once he reached the highest levels he could reach in the Albuquerque Day Schools for Indians, he was sent to Haskell Institute. And um, while there, you know, he subjected to the very standard stories of you that you hear of abuses against Native American peoples there. Um, but he's also introduced um, to Pan-Indianism. Um, he's meeting a bunch of people from different tribal communities across the country, and they're really starting to share their struggles and, and piecing together, well, well, we're all sort of on this same page um, on this. And then, so so after that, we, we, we fast forward to World War II, and, and he's returned home and and he's fought in a foreign war um, against racism as sort of the, the bad thing that's happening abroad. And now you're home and you're facing the same sort of oppression that you, you just actively fought against. So he, he sort of passed back into that pan-Indianism. He looks to the larger community that's going on and forming and pushing for new Native American activists um, to sort of bring in a new era of Native American politics. Alec, the state constitution in New Mexico in 1948 stated that because Native Americans were not taxed, they were prohibited from voting. Was there any justification for that law? Yeah, so the the idea behind it is really flimsy, and it's just that because Indians did not pay property taxes while they lived on the reservation, they were not paying taxes at all. Um, so in the final court decision um, by Judge Ori Phillips on August 2nd, he sort of points out that this is first and foremost um, a violation of the 14th and 15th Amendments of the Constitution, which were uh, protection, the protection of the right to vote. And there was, there were, they were already paying taxes in several other ways, um, sort of on purchases or um, other, other local taxes. Interesting. Interesting. So he and... Um... Did he understand that that he had a really strong case when he filed that suit, or did he just, you know, what was what was he thinking, and, and who was helping him form that argument that he had a right to vote just like any other New Mexican citizen at the time? 
Yeah, uh, he he absolutely knew what he was doing, and and this is something that sort of affected the way that um, he's been presented historically before. Is that there was this assumption, and, and you see it even today. Uh, there's this assumption that he did not know what he was doing when he went to challenge the courts, um, but in fact, this was a very calculated decision. Um, he enjoyed the support of the National Congress of American Indians, which had support which had um, been founded in 1941 and was providing legal support to him. Um, he was also supported by the famous uh, Indian lawyer Felix Cohen, who was supporting him through the federal government. Um, and he's also following on the foottails of three other court cases that have to do with indigenous voting in the Southwest. Um, in the month prior to the um, Trujillo decision, uh, Harrison uh, Levine, or <clears throat> sorry, uh, Harrison v. Levine in Arizona is decided, which brings the franchise to Arizona's Native American population. Um, in Arizona, it had been under, uh, they were under guardianship, and that had been used to argue that they did not have the right to vote. Uh, that was overturned. Alec, Alec, I'm sorry. We're going to have to take a break here in just a, a short moment here. We are learning more about the legacy of Miguel Trujillo. Any more Miguel Trujillo relatives out there, if you're listening, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We want to learn more about your famous relative. We'll be back right after this short break. Support by the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian, presenting Ancestors Know Who We Are, a new online exhibition that features works by six contemporary black indigenous women artists. Joelle Joyner, Paige Pettibon, Moira Pernambuco, Monica Rickert-Bolter, Stormy Weber, and Rodslin Brown, addressing race, gender, multiracial identity, and intergenerational knowledge. More at AmericanIndian.si.edu. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about voting rights and the historical fight to extend voting rights to Native Americans. Of course, we'd love to have you be part of that discussion, but it's only going to happen if you pick up your phone and call 1-800-996-2848. So what are you waiting for? Tell us why you appreciate your right to vote. We're speaking with Alex Bright, and he is a researcher and has done a, a whole dissertation on Miguel Trujillo. And Alex, we had to take a quick break there when you were telling us about Miguel Trujillo's lawsuit in 1948. Please continue your thoughts. Yeah, so I was sort of elaborating on how it was a very exacted decision um, to levy this court case when it happened. Um, I, I was discussing the Harrison v. Levine decision in Arizona. And, and so in 1948, we're seeing, we see two more court cases that take place in New Mexico alone dealing with voting rights. Um, one, two Zuni men and one Navajo men filed suit after they were denied the right to vote under the New Mexico Constitution. But here we, we really start to get a, a sense of how um, sort of complicated voting rights were and still are in Indian country, where we, he's at, they're actually asked to withdraw the court case by tribal council members from the Zuni Pueblo um, on the basis of sort of still being apprehensive towards participating in the, the United States election system. They were still debating, you know, do we really, do you want to be part, do you, are we embracing citizenship now that we're uh, under the American, you know, now that we have American citizenship, if, if we take the right to vote, are we actually assimilating more? Or as Trujillo would point out later, this is actually a way towards self-determination, um, towards sovereignty. So 
immediately after this case with the Zuni men and the Navajo men, you get another case where a San Juan man attempts to vote, and um, he, he enjoys the support of the Association of Indian Affairs. They give him a lawyer. Um, and the district court judge, David Chavez, in February of 1948, he actually delays the decision on this court case because there are rumblings that there will be a court case later in the year with the support of the National Congress of American Indians, which is actually the Trujillo decision. So essentially, he kicks the decision back until Trujillo comes into play, where they're able to, with larger support, uh, larger backing from Felix Cohen and other uh, members of the National Congress of American Indians, they're able to articulate a more clear argument uh, to the judge and file for a permanent injunction to end the bar on voting in New Mexico. Alec, you mentioned San Juan. Do you mean OK Wingate Pueblo? Is that what you're, who you're referring to? Y- yes, sir. Okay, thanks. Just wanted to get that clarification. We've got another caller on the line from Isleta Pueblo, in fact. Listening on KUNM is Abel. Abel, you're on the air. Good morning. My name is Abel. I'm from Isleta Pueblo, and I'd like to thank the Isleta Pueblo Voters Alliance for stepping up and taking the initiative to to look to research and look into Mr. Trujillo's efforts that I learned about when I was doing a paralingual internship at the Indian Affairs Department in Santa Fe in um, 2004. Um, after learning about him, I shared my information, what I learned about the man, the great man from the Slato Pueblo, who fought for civil rights and Native American voter rights. And since, I've pretty much just been trying to tell everybody who would listen who this man is. And I have the highest respect and regard for the integrity and everything he's done for Native American voters. I would like to, at this time, encourage all Pueblo members eligible to vote this year in tribal elections to please do so and make an educated, informed vote. Um, We lack true leadership, compassion and caring, equality on our reservation at this time. I would ask that we all put our personal... um, agendas aside and unite as a community to improve the quality of life for all Native Americans on our Pueblo, as well as other brother and sister reservations. And I'd like to thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak on the subject. Abel, stay on the line for a moment. I I really appreciate you calling in, and and thanks for those comments. And earlier I mentioned how in the United States we have a lot of frustrated people with the political process, and uh, Native America is not immune to some of that political apathy. And I want to get your thoughts, because obviously, you know, you're encouraging people to vote, Pueblo people to get out there, but but we have some folks that are are just really, really disillusioned with the political process. And here we're honoring today a man, Miguel Trujillo, who fought so hard for a right that many Americans today feel they question whether it's worth exercising. What do you think uh, Miguel Trujillo's thoughts would be on that that challenge right now? Well... From my personal history and hearing others speak about him, he was a very caring man, a well-thought-out agenda. First and foremost, for those who are in the future coming, not so much for him, but I believe he felt a profound duty to his people, to his family, to fight for this right, knowing that he was educated, strong, and willing, and had the backing to do so. 
Um, it's hard to speak for another person who is no longer here, but I hope that he would, and, uh, through his work and through this research, people can look into the great things that come along with voting. We have, under our tribal constitution, we have a clause that says membership rights. Those are all our rights as Native Americans, right? Freedom of speech, freedom to vote. There's people in third world countries who wish they had the rights and the privileges that we have to vote for their own tribal officials, elected officials to make important decisions on their behalf. Um, I think if he had anything to say, he would probably say some encouraging words of strength and unity for our people. Abel, thanks again for calling in. Really appreciate your comments. We've got another caller on the line, Maureen, listening online in Florida. Maureen, thanks for calling in as well. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to my family members who have also called uh, to speak about my great-grandfather and to the other callers who have um, let us know how my great-grandfather has impacted their lives. Um, I'm just very thankful to be a part of this family and to learn about everything that he's done, my great-grandfather has done to earn us this right to vote. And it's something that is very important to me, um, living in a different state and learning how voting can impact how states run and what abilities we have. Uh, I just urge everyone to go out and vote so that way your voice can be listened and heard. Thanks for calling in, Maureen. And Pat, I, I want to ask you, how does it make you feel? So many relatives, Isleta Pueblo tribal citizens calling in today to show their respects for your grandfather. Oh, truthfully, it's very emotional. I know my grandfather would probably sitting here, maybe with a smile on his face, but he would have, he wouldn't brag about this. It, it makes us very happy to know that people are finally recognizing and, and, about his, you know, his accomplishments, recognizing his accomplishments, learning a little bit about him as a person, as a, as a leader. He was a leader. Um, maybe he didn't hold public office, but he was a leader. Certainly someone that we could admire and, and follow in his footsteps. My brother and sister mentioned, you know, how important an education was. And, and if it weren't for him, you know, continuing to stress that, I don't know how many of us would have, would have actually gone on to school um, to learn the importance of, of getting an education so that we can improve not only our, our own personal situations, but contribute to improving our communities and, and, and where we live. And so voting is just one way to do that. And um, I'm sitting here in admiration of hearing all the good things about my grandfather. Well, we've got another caller in Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening on KUNM. Chewy, you're on the air. Oh, thank you, Sean. This is a very, very uh, good program because I think Miguel Trujillo needs to be highlighted, not just in the programs like this, but in the history of 
in the in the books in the history of Albuquerque. I mean, uh, the history of New Mexico. Uh, I was honored to receive the unsung unsung hero Miguel Trujillo Award in 1996 from the Human Rights Office in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You know that they have the uh, Miguel Trujillo Unsung Hero Award they do every year, and um, and it was. It, it was an eye opener, not just for for me, but also for the Chicano community that I work with. You know, uh, because we um, we learned so much about you know the struggle for voting rights, and and that also helped inspire many people, including myself. So thank you for for this program, and thanks to the family for uh, you know keeping his memory and history and life alive. Chewy, thanks for calling in. I know you've been a guest on our show before, so I really appreciate your insights. And I want to go back to Alec now, and let's look at the larger picture beyond New Mexico. Alec, uh, what are some obstacles to vote that Native people in other parts of the country have had to overcome? Sure. I, I Sort of just to start off on this, there's a uh, a book written by Maurice Crandall called These People Have Always Been a Republic, uh, Indigenous Electorates in the U.S.-Mexico Borderlands. And I think that that book really guided my understanding to seeing how I looked at the, the problem in Arizona, which it was, was wardship. There was this idea um, that the people of Arizona, the Native American populations of Arizona, uh, were under a guardianship, um, and therefore they did not need to vote. They had no sort of there was no reason for them to vote if they if they had no say in what they were doing anyways for the uh, Arizona Constitution. Um, and even in the border between New Mexico and Arizona, we see a, a different struggle where the Navajo uh, Native Americans from New Mexico actually don't get the right to vote following the Trujillo decision. Uh, it isn't until 1962 that another decision, which uh, actually cites the Trujillo decision, finally brings the franchise to New Mexico's Navajo population. Uh, in a totally different area, you look to somewhere like South Dakota, who even today you see massive problems with uh, voter registration um, involving the, the requirement to have uh, a permanent address. You see large swaths of Native American communities uh, in both South Dakota and North Dakota that are affected by this, and they, they can't, they, they have no access to vote as a result. Um, in Utah, it's not until 1956 uh, that the law is overturned, again, citing the Trujillo decision. Um, and, and even today, we've seen there's, uh, there was initiative by President Biden to uh, have a formal report written on tribal voting across the United States, in, in which, again, Trujillo is cited as being the sort of pioneer of voting rights. Um, in the last three years, we've seen Two, or two sets of legislation tried to be introduced into the U.S. House of Representatives titled Native American Voting Rights, citing Miguel Trujillo as sort of, you know, an impetus for this. And one of them, is, his name is in the act. We're going to have to wrap up the show here in a couple of minutes. But Janice, I want to give you a chance to respond. Why would so many people want to make it harder for Native people to vote? There's just a lot of barriers. I, we see that even within our own community, uh, even for our own tribal elections. We have just one 
registration weekend where our tribal members go and register to vote. And we do this every election. It's not where you're registered and, you know, you're registered. <laughs> we have to do this every single election. That's a barrier. Um, and also just it, it's not the registration is just, again, there should be multiple uh, locations to register, possibly even streamlining the process. Um, and so these are barriers that we've identified and we've also have wrote to our our legislative, our own tribal council legislative branch and um, made them aware of these barriers. And so we are working with them to hopefully just really get these policies, like Pat was saying, to get policies in place that are actually beneficial for the people. And what are you most excited about, Janice, when it comes to Native participation in elections? I I really love seeing community come together. I really love seeing our voice being amplified. I really love seeing people having a commonality to bring change and want change. And I really believe this year is going to be the year that we're going to see those changes. And if you could remind our listeners one more time, how can they learn more about Miguel Trujillo Day next week? Please come out, uh, Isleta Casino and Resort, Wednesday, August 3rd, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. This is a free event. We are looking forward to having as many people there. This is just, like I said, honoring, celebrating Miguel Trujillo. Uh, we're super excited just to have, to be, in com- to be in community and, again, just to celebrate. Learning about Miguel Trujillo, an Isleta Pueblo tribal citizen who in 1948 sued the state of New Mexico, the county uh, that he resided in, for the right to vote in elections and paved the way for natives in New Mexico to vote from that point on. A wonderful figure in New Mexico history indeed. And that is about all the time we have for our show today. We're going to have to wrap up. Pat Abeda, Alec Bright, Janice Lucero, thank you all for joining us today. It's been terrific learning more about the efforts of Native suffrage advocate Miguel Trujillo. We're back tomorrow with our regular feature on Native food and food sovereignty with host Andy Murphy. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening to the one, the only Native America Calling. This show is supported by the return of FX's Reservation Dogs. The original comedy from Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi. This season, Reservation Dogs continues to follow the favorite gang of indigenous teens in rural Oklahoma, with each of them trying to forge their own path in hopes of one day making it to California. FX's Reservation Dogs Season 2 premieres Wednesday, August 3rd, only on Hulu. CMS program contact local Indian health care provider Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. 
funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.